thinking of starting a podcast? Well, try Anchor. It's free, easy to use, and its creation tools allow you to record and edit directly from your phone or computer. It'll even take care of distribution for you with a single tap so you can be heard on platforms such as Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and more. Also, Anchor is the only place you can publish video podcasts directly to Spotify. Man, you can even make money using Anchor in a couple of ways, including ads and podcast subscriptions. It's truly everything you need in one place to make a podcast. So make sure to go download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. Again, download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started today. Welcome to another edition of the It's Cavalier podcast. As always, it's your boy Mac. Joining me today is my friend and co-host, Corey Walsh of Fear the Sword. Corey, how you doing, man? I'm doing great. I'm doing better now that we have our first guest in what feels like an eternity. (laughs) It's been a long time. And so with that said, as you all can see, Mr. Spencer Davies is joining us today. It's been a minute since we've had you on the pod, man. I'm glad that you've returned. So thank you for doing so. You're a very busy man. I know you've had a lot going on, as you were just telling us off camera. (laughs) Uh, But with that said, man, how are you feeling? I'm great, man. You know, I'm just kind of back in the swing of things. Uh, this homestand's really got me into, you know, good spot. You know, I've done a couple different interviews with some of the the opponents, you know, like Jamal Kane. I just did a really long form feature on him. Uh, just talked to, to Nick Richards the other night who, who put up some really solid numbers and is looking like he's developing along the way. And I got another one coming with AJ Griffin here later <laughs> this week. So that's that side. But I'm obviously here How to could talk you? about the Cavs. <laughs> My heart. I, I miss – I what could have been with AJ Griffin? How could you? Man, we – this was a guy. Like I think we're all like collectively on draft night. Corey, when we were doing that live, like he was sitting right there. We're like, oh, the, the Cavs has got to pick this motherfucker, and they did not. I was uh, devastated. You know, it's all water under the bridge because he probably wouldn't have stayed here anyways. Uh, but man, yeah, that 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 kid's got a good future. How about Mac with that seasoned Chris Collinsworth transition? Now here's a guy. <laughs> <laughs> tell you what, I really like this kid. <laughs> <laughs> Let me tell you, Al, this guy's got something. I really think he does. Uh, but this is a Cavaliers podcast, so I'm not going to talk about the enemy right now. So as you can no doubt tell by the name of this episode, I am confused on just which version of this team we should actually be looking at. It's like, who are the Cavs? Who the fuck are the Cavs? Like, what is this team? Like, over these last, uh, we're not even at the 20 game mark, are we? And we have seen this team go on three separate streaks, two of them good, one of them bad. We'll talk about each one of them. Here right now, uh, first one, uh, eight-game win streak. Awesome eight-game win streak that was preceded by a Darius Garland injury. And I have to mention this every every episode because I just can't forget it. I can't get it out of my head. Darius Garland with the eye, getting his eye poked out <laughs> by uh, Gary Trent Jr. I just cannot let that go. Uh, and just to – I don't mean to go on a tangent here to start the episode off – Spencer, have you noticed that Darius Garland is getting whacked in the face quite often this season? Yeah, he is. And I, you know, it just kind of one of those freak accident type of deals. But like, you know, it goes from freak accident to every night occurrence. And he's even <laughs> getting annoyed by it. I know Evan Damarell, who obviously is, you know, good friends with you guys. And he asked Darius about that last night. And Darius like shook his head. He's like, 
at least I'm not blind. Is it the way he, is it the way he plays, or a guy's just like flailing at him, or is it just bad luck? I think it's just bad luck, man. I, I mean, Darius is flying over <laughs> over the court all the time. I'm just reading these comments, going around the way, you know, like both ends of the floor. He's always in constant motion, and I mean, guys just have their hands out there, just you know, just can't really help it, unfortunately. Yeah, he's – I don't know. He's getting whacked. I just hope nobody pokes his eye out for real the way that uh, this guy's been playing as of late after coming back from that injury. He's been hot. Uh, <laughs> nothing else I can really say about that that I haven't already said because I continuously – I go on a tirade about that all the time. <sighs> um, but – just to get back on track here, you know, that win streak, in my opinion, was made entirely possible, not only because of the the just flat out awesome play of Donovan Mitchell, who's been everything that we thought he could be in more. And this is coming from a guy who kind of felt iffy on that trade to begin with. It's completely dispelled any notion of that now. But it wasn't just him. I mean, we saw everybody stepping up in some form or fashion, whether that be Karis LeVert stepping up and being that second option that we really needed him to be in the absence of DG, uh, doing everything from scoring to playmaking. Uh, we saw Jetty Osmond really pick his game up and we know how uh, sporadic he can be in regards to his uh, flamethrower ways. But everybody really, really stepped up. Hell, throw Kev- uh, Kevin Love in there, who had that near triple-double against uh, Detroit, I believe, and then the big game against New York during that stretch. So I guess my question to start things off here, Spencer, what did the Cavs do so well during that stretch that made eight straight wins possible? Well, you know, I think it's kind of a combination of, of the buy-in and the, really the, the belief in the defensive end. Uh, I, I really, you know, everybody talks about the backcourt and, and everybody talks about, you know, the, the, the Tower City, of course. Uh, but I still feel like Jared Allen is their most important guy. I really do. Um, and I think you've seen that too. And these, I know we're getting into different streaks, but even on this last three game winning streak, I think you're seeing the importance of Jared Allen, um, not only as a rim protector and somebody who allows Evan Mobley to roam and allows those guys on the perimeter to gamble a little more, to be a little bit more physical out there, uh, bust through screens and really kind of defend on the ball. Um, because they know they can funnel him in to both uh, Jarrett and Evan, but hell of a safety even net I, to have back there. Absolutely, absolutely, and but but that's not even it. I mean, offensively, if you're seeing Donovan Mitchell and Darius Garland getting doubled, they're passing it either to Evan or or Jarrett there in the middle of the floor, right over by the nail, and they're kicking it to the corner for wide open threes, or they're putting it on the floor and they're attacking themselves. They've got multiple kind of options. It's like an option offense if you watch it. <laughs> it um, does feel like that. When it when it happens like that. And then when they don't double, I mean, Donovan Mitchell's pulling up for whether it's a three, whether if it's a mid-ranger, using the upper body strength that I did not know he had, uh, getting into bodies and just just freaking like trucking into them. And uh, he's drawing fouls and he's getting to the rim. Uh, Darius Garland utilizing that pull-up mid-ranger I think has been great because a lot of these bigs have been in drop coverage on him because they're so worried about <laughs> Jarrett for a, for an alley-oop or Evan on the baseline getting into the dunker spot. Uh, and Darius has been burying those, you know, 16 to 18 footers at a really high clip this year. Uh, and, and, you know, obviously he's hit the, the clutch threes as well. Um, and I know that's a little bit more broad than what you wanted to talk about. But in that eight-game winning streak, I think, the, the biggest takeaways for me was the way that they played against Boston 
and the way that they were able to come away with two overtime victories, I, I think that was very indicative of the potential that this team has. Uh, Karis Levert was the guy that stood out to me um, just because of the way, not only the, that he's defended, but it's his playmaking ability. When he's putting it on the floor, um, these little dump-off passes to the bigs underneath. Um, he's been able to to kick it out to guys for three. He still can't get the dribble pull-up going for some reason. It's really, <laughs> I don't know it's what really weird. Is. It's really weird because it's a little bit of a reverse effect because he is mostly a guy that has had success with that dribble pull-up or with, you know, the, you know, getting into that area where it's the 10 to 12 foot and, you know, just pulling up. Uh, but he's been more of a catch shoot guy and the catch shooting has gone his way for the most part. This Over 40%. Year. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's crazy. Uh, so it's, it's just a little different in that regard. Um, I think Kevin Love also started out very well that, that um, eight game winning streak, he was getting a charge taken per game. It seemed uh, he was also, you know, spacing the floor. Well, I think Dean Wade's another guy that was <sighs> incredible on that streak. Um, good news, by the way, he's probable uh, for tomorrow against the Blazers. So that's, you know, some good news for them. Cause he's one of their best perimeter defenders and bodies that can just shuffle his feet and, and defend, you know, guys, best player. Uh, and some I guess he got those antibiotics. <laughs> he did. No, I was going to say it got infected. That when JB said that, I was like, good, good Lord. But I mean, they, they've got a collective group. That's just, got synergy together and the the weakness that they have is just that that last moments those last moments those unavoidable turnover or those very avoidable turnovers um that they have to go away from but in that eight game winning streak i think they just had a good feel for each other uh they were playing to some very very good competition so that kind of forced them to execute right out of the gate because they were playing such good teams um, but, and I'm sure you want to get to the next part, which, I mean, I have, I've got a lot more on that, but <laughs> it's, it's, uh, it was just very fun to watch them, uh, compete and it's just the spirit that they have. And it's the, uh, the collective buy-in and a lot of credit's got to go to JB. Yes, absolutely. I got to give him a lot of credit. Contrary to popular belief of, uh, some fans out there who want to fire him after every game. <laughs> well, it's difficult because, you know, when you look at the minute load that he's playing, some of these guys, you, you understand it. It's almost like I get it. Tib, it's yeah. almost like Tibbsian, you know, like where Donovan Mitchell's playing thirty-eight during 39. that time. Yeah. He was playing thirty-nine minutes a night, and that was leading the NBA. Darius Garland was playing thirty-six. You know, like that—that's a lot of minutes, especially for a team that we know has some depth to it, and we're seeing that right now. Uh, but at the time, I mean, he was just putting those guys out there and running them up and down up and down he wants them to get up and down the floor win in transition create those turnovers so uh that would think was the the key to that that winning streak uh, off the bat but then you know you go west and you have some trouble and i mean that happens to a lot of teams yeah but uh it was a little bit just kind of like they they weren't themselves after that clippers run and uh they had to get back to themselves and that's where it started Absolutely. Corey, do you think that eight eight games is a lot of games? I mean, do you think that's going to end up being the longest win streak of the season for the Cavs? Um, I wouldn't say that I would say it's impossible, but, you know, anytime you can rip off eight games in a row in the NBA, it's a very impressive accomplishment, especially like what Spencer said when you look. I don't think we'll have a more quality eight wins yeah. in a row based on the quality of opponent that we played during that stretch. I mean, we 
took a battle tested finals tested Boston Celtics team to overtime twice and won both in Cleveland and in a really tough Boston environment. I can speak from firsthand experience. <laughs> you were at that game. You were at that game, right? One yeah, of them. you know, uh, the Karis LeVert game, as I call it. Uh, but uh, yeah, it's. I wouldn't say it's probably the last time that they'll flirt around with an eight-game uh, win streak, but it probably will be tough to top the quality of play that we faced during that stretch for sure. Fair enough. I think that you're going, as you said, you're going to be hard pressed to find eight quality wins like that, you know, ripping them off all back to back to back. Not to mention a Toronto game that they, it was probably the most physical season opener I've ever Mm. seen. (laughs) It was a playoff level basketball in the first few minutes of the game. It was mutiny. What do you mean? (laughs) It's a month ago. I mean, you look at their roster right now. They are so decimated by injuries too now. I mean, Philly is decimated by injury. It's crazy. All these injuries happening in the East right now. Yes, it, it is uncanny. Um, you know, following that happened to be the uh, the rough stretch, you know, five straight losses. Cavs dropped five straight, starting with the showdown with the the Clippers, you know, the team that you mentioned before and ending with a loss at the hands of the Milwaukee Bucks with the most frustrating part during that entire stretch being the amount of blown leads the Cavs continuously seem to give up. Now, just to highlight that, with four minutes and 37 seconds left to go in the fourth against the Clippers, Cleveland led 112 to 100 and still ended up losing 119 to 117. That's a big deal. Following that, with uh, with eight thirteen left on the clock against the Kings, they were up one hundred five to ninety nine. They lost one twenty to one twenty seven. Uh, with four thirty eight against the Warriors, they had a ninety five eighty seven lead, and history repeated itself again <laughs> as they lost one hundred five to one hundred six. And then that was uh, followed by Darius Garland's heroic fifty one points against the Minnesota Timberwolves, I believe, where he dropped twenty seven in the fourth quarter. Uh, still an L, and then last but certainly not least in that regard was a complete shellacking at the hands of those Bucks, one thirteen to ninety eight. The Bucks were banged up in that one. One that the you know a lot of people felt felt that the Cavs had a pretty good chance of pulling out the W as long as they contained Giannis enough. I mean, if you can even do that, uh, but they still got their asses handed to them pretty thoroughly. And playing uh, against Brooke Lopez, <laughs> <laughs> that was you're not going to see that type of game every single you know every single matchup that these two teams have. And I was a heavy proponent of having Brooke out there, like do something. No, I mean, uh, Robin out there, go go do something to your brother. <laughs> slow them down you know how to get to them uh but you know when you're looking back at that there was a at least one key absence and you already hinted to this earlier spencer uh was jared allen's absence the only reason they you think they went on that skid not the only reason but definitely a big one uh the problem in those games was they were not containing the perimeter whatsoever teams were just busting them from deep like (laughs) I mean, and and a lot of those were open looks. Um, now, uh, you know, if you want to play devil's advocate, you look at what the Kings have done this season. That's just been their M.O. They're yeah. the best offense in the NBA right now. You saw what they did to Brooklyn last Damn, season. Damn, Mike Brown and really turned dropped, those guys around. They, they dropped 150-plus on their heads. But, uh, I mean, the, the, the loss to the Clippers, like I said, I think is where it all started. Um, they just uh, kind of got comfortable. I guess is the word to say. Um, 
I mean, JB, you know, once the fifth loss in a row happened in Milwaukee, you know, said that the team got kind of a fat cat mentality. That was his word. <laughs> yeah, um, I read that. So, I was like, what the hell so, am I looking at? I was going to say, so like he did a very respectful job of calling out his team without throwing them under the bus. Uh, and they've responded, obviously, with this three game winning streak. But during that, you know, kind of skid, I, I think Jarrett was big. I think not having Dean Wade was big. Uh, like I said, uh, they just weren't able to to close, you know, fundamentally. They weren't able to to close out on shooters. And um, down the stretch, you look at the offense and they they would get stagnant. And, you know, this is when, you know, the Darius Garland, da- Donovan Mitchell pairing, they've got to figure each other out. And I think, again, as we move forward, they are starting to figure it out. But there's a lot of, you know, miscues that they could take back. I mean, there's some miscommunication on some cuts um, where they're throwing the ball out of bounds. They're uh, some really silly turnovers where they're just literally handing the other team the ball. Like, uh, so that, like, I, I think that was a big factor in it. If you want me to get um, real technical, I think Sunday, that game against the Wolves was a straight up schedule loss. How the NBA can schedule three games on the West Coast, have them fly home from Oakland to Cleveland in a game that's at 6 p.m. Eastern time that same weekend. I think is preposterous <laughs> and, uh, and you know, they had very, very, very heavy legs in that game to start. Um, and they gave it their all there in the fourth and Darius just was, it seemed like Darius was just having shooting that numerous records in that one. Yeah. Yeah. But that was, that was just incredible an incredible individual performance. Um, and then the Milwaukee game, I think that one is a tip your cap game. Yeah. You said it, they got their asses handed to them, but I think that's also a tip your cap game. <laughs> Because Lamar Stevens did an excellent job on Giannis that whole night. Giannis was having trouble getting to the rim. He was not himself with the ball. Like, like if you look at the way he was having troubles just kind of dribbling and getting to the paint, he kind of just looked a little off. Yeah. Um, and Lamar was putting his hands up and, and doing a good job frustrating him. I think Giannis went 6 of 17. Uh, he had a lot of assists, though, because Brooke Lopez was hitting 28-footers. <laughs> he was hitting parking lot shots. I mean, what else do you do? You make Brooke Lopez beat you? Okay. But what they couldn't do, and this is what JB alluded to, was that they could not let them outwork him. And uh, he highlighted 20-second chance points, uh, the amount of offensive rebounds that Milwaukee got in that game. Uh, and that was when I think the, uh, the, 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 camel, the, or the straw that broke the camel's back and uh, now you see where they're at. And again, I think regardless of, of how they were playing on that West Coast road trip, I think Jared Allen is is the absolute most important player on the team. I, I, I've i seen it the last two seasons, two and a half seasons. You look at what happened in the play-in uh, last, last, uh, last season and uh, that streak where they were without him to get – uh, to, to fall in the standings, to get to the play-in. Um, and that, I think, is directly because Evan Mobley is not an anchor. He's not a rim-protecting type of, of big man. He is a roamer. He is a freelancer. He is somebody that comes on help defense, gets the block. Um, when when someone's making uh, an effort to defend somebody, Evan can come over and make a play on the ball. That's the type of guy he is. Jarrett is more of your, quote-unquote, traditional big guy who, who is a little stronger, who can take those hits on those guys that are coming in to the paint, reject them, alter shots, and, uh, God, somebody who can just guard anybody. I mean, you see when he gets switched out into a guard. I still don't get why teams are trying to do it because, 
I mean, I, I watched him guard Bradley Beal for 20 seconds straight. <laughs> I, I was like, I'm, I'm like amazed that he was able to stay in front of him the whole time and force a terrible shot. But he, I mean, obviously Bradley Beal made it, but um, Jarrett, Jarrett's just one of a kind, man. And uh, Evan is too. I, but I think together, that's really what makes them dangerous. Absolutely. That's a tough, like I was saying the other, that is a tough backline of defense for any team to break through. And, and, and the Cavs really do have a luxury having that star backward that they have and then having the front court there to protect. Uh, I mean, Jarrett doesn't get enough respect for his ability to switch out. As you said, Evan Mobley is really kind of that free roamer. Uh, well, that free safety rather who can go out there and, and be wherever you need him to be. Um, when I look at him, I just, I cannot envision him ever being a true center um and i'm okay with that like i have moved past the idea that evan mobley will somehow magically uh you know transform into this true five i just do not think that's what his game will ever translate to be is it impossible no i just don't see it happen and with the Cavs still having jared out in town on an absolute bargain of a contract if you ask me um that's not likely to change anytime soon, barring some unforeseen massive defensive leap. If that's even, if we're even going to see, because he looks just, just awesome on the defensive end. And one of the biggest plays over this, uh, to start this season was when he literally grabbed, I think it was, I can't, I think it was Terry Rozier. He literally grabbed the ball right out of the air. Just came out of nowhere. Oh yeah. No, that was when Kevin, so Kevin Love came over and tried Mm -hmm. to take a charge. And that allowed Evan, who was somehow, he was stationed on the perimeter, like the corner, or not the corner of the perimeter, the like elbow perimeter area. And he took like two steps and he came soaring in like Superman and <laughs> grabbed it. Literally grabbed the ball. Darius Garland you said, only see this before. type of stuff in 2K. <laughs> Dude, it, it, I, don't think, I don't think that animation's even in 2K, bro. Like, I, I, like that, <laughs> that, that was just stupid. It was stupid, um, but he is, he's just so fun to watch. And, I mean, if we're going to highlight Evan, the way that he's played over this, this winning streak, uh, I think, has to be highlighted. I know he didn't have that great of a game against Atlanta. He was a little off. It seemed like he yeah. didn't have a feel for the ball on offense. Uh, but those two games beforehand against Miami and against Charlotte, just the way that, that he's developed counters now when he's catching the ball, he's not just going up with it now. He's pump faking. Uh, he's using spin moves. Uh, you know, you, I mean, he's already been using the shoulder, but the way that he's been able to get his opponent in the air and get them guessing before he gets to the rim. And now he's really playing angry. And I think that's a really good sign, uh, for the Cavs because that's just another weapon to add to the treasure chest they have at the moment. Um, I think the, the place that he's left in his game that he's got to develop is the jumper. And, And that's, I mean, I'd rather see him taking like face up jumpers, like, 15 18 feet uh but i know they want to try to get him to shoot more threes um and he's mm-hmm. been working at him at practice but uh I, I think you've seen a lot of development from evan in that respect and the high low game with jared's always fun to watch too yeah 15 points 11.7 rebounds 3.7 assists over his last six games he's really been turning up he's been key to this stretch Corey, what has dean wave's absence uh meant to the Cavs? At this point in time, what how, what's the impact felt right by not having him on the court? Well, like Spencer alluded to earlier, he's probably you could argue our best perimeter defender. That is actually like not one of the not Evan Mobley, I guess, <laughs> is what you would say. But 
Uh, Dean Wade kind of just harkens back to the familiar big ball lineup we had last year where uh, Lowry Markkinen, I I would argue, then I don't think anyone would really disagree that Dean Wade is a better defender overall than Lowry Markkinen is in the sense that Lowry Markkinen was there to just be like, an obstruction to opposing shooters, but no one was really expecting him to make defensive stops. The dude didn't move fast with his feet as much as Dean Wade is. Dean Wade is a different type of defender. He's athletic. I mean, he isn't as skilled offensively as Larry Markkinen is, but when you have the, the uh, guard play that the Cavs have this season, as opposed to last season, where it felt at times that it was Darius Garland and a rotation rotating cast of characters at the two, then you're allowed to have that type of defensive freedom. And I think what yeah, Jared Allen is extremely important to this team, but I also think having, when you have Darius and Donovan playing together, you can't really have another passive defensive player on the floor, especially when like, I love Karis LeVert and his play was really good for the first stretch of those eight games. And his facilitating skills were definitely the thing that caught me the most off guard with his play. But his defensive effort was also there. And when he wasn't playing, you could tell that they felt kind of lost at times. I mean, we had to have a rotation of just Lamar played some at the three, but Lamar wasn't fully like in, into the uh, lineup yet. So you could tell he was just a little rusty. Having a Kevin Love in the starting five automatically is a defensive liability within itself. And um, yeah, overall, I think Dean Wade returning back to this team is just going to only bolster the defensive effort that we've seen in the past few games because without Jared and Dean Wade, that's basically two of the three best defenders on the Cavs, in my opinion, that got sidelined. I think that's fair. And, you know, to that point, uh, I just want to highlight one thing. Lamar Stevens, over these last five games, and he started all of these last five games, to my knowledge, 9.4 points, 4.2 rebounds, a block, shooting 47.2% from the field, Pretty good, forty four point four percent from three point range on four nine, um, and he he's playing over twenty eight point seven minutes per game. Now, when Dean returns, because there's going to be a lot of questions in regards to this rotation as it stands with guys playing so well right now uh, in individual spurts. Uh, the big question to me is: Do you continue to roll with Lamar Stevens as your starting three right now, just because of how things have been rolling? Or do you transition Dean back into the starting lineup? I think I think you got to go and roll with what's working right now uh, until it doesn't. Um, the good thing about what they can do is is some of these guys are kind of in, interchangeable, but they bring different things to the table. Like when Dean's in the lineup, you're going to see a lot more space on the floor because they have to pay attention to him, right? He's shooting, I think, on catch shoots 60-plus percent right now. Yeah. Um, you know, you can probably roll out a Dean Wade and Kevin Love uh, combo, too. You know, like you can mess around a little bit with the rotation, maybe throw them in with um, Darius and Donovan as well. Uh, but it just it, it depends on, on what they need and what type of team they play, I think. But uh, as it stands, I think Lamar has more than earned this at the moment. Um, and until, you know, it goes south kind of how it did with Karis. I think JB is going to stick with that. I think that's fair. Um, I I want to thank Justin Rowan of the Chase Down Pod for uh, pointing this out to me earlier as I was uh, messaging him. I Apparently the lineup, the, that, that current lineup is pretty bad defensively right now. I don't have the exact numbers with me right now, but they're the not. The first five? Yeah. 
No way. They, really? They are not they are not functioning well defensively mm. right now as a whole. Um but I think they're they're cleaning that up on the offensive end. They're doing enough on the offensive end to make up for that. Well, maybe that Hawks game didn't help. It was an offensive explosion in the first half. <laughs> so the defense was non-existent on both sides in that first half. Yeah. The just that game to start was so fun. Yeah. yeah. As a yeah. fan, you love it. And then as a guy yeah. who tries to argue Cavs defensive stats, <laughs> you're like, well, uh, if you omit <laughs> the Hawks game. Well, uh, you watch the second half, though, in the way that they defended. I mean, it looked fine to me. Like, you know, yeah. they, did a, they did a hell of a job on DeJounte, man. And Lamar has a lot of credit for that. Yes. And I think that uh, Isaac Okoro deserves a lot of credit for that, too. Especially he had three fouls in the first stint that he had oh my played, god he ridiculous. played all the way through it hey but he played all the way through it made it 15 minutes and got through it and played and you know i think that they um kind of appreciate that jb told me yesterday when i asked about that like because that's not easy you get three fouls right off the bat you're gonna be out of sync you're not Bullshit feeling good <laughs> and dude correct but i i think that just him being able to play through that i think that's a sign of growth for isaac and you know he talks about how spoiled the Cavs are because he's somebody who can slither through screens like nobody's business and chase guys around when, when he's got to tag a shooter um, on the ball. I think, you know, he, he probably could have a little bit better success. Um, and sometimes he might be a little slow footed against guys like Trey, but like chasing guys around, I think there there's very few in the league that I think are as, as good as Isaac's doing it now. Uh, the offensive end is obviously a question mark. I think you've seen some improvement incrementally um, over the last week. Uh, just just getting him involved um, on cuts, like against uh, Miami, I thought he was tremendous on some of those cuts. I think in the open floor, he's very dangerous. I think he's got a great Euro, um, and uh, he's he's also made some plays for some teammates uh, on some hockey assists that you're not going to see in the stat sheet. But uh, I'm always the first one to come to – Okoro's defense because he's such a hard worker, man. And he's 21, you know, like, and and there's a lot of expectations because, you know, he's a fifth overall pick and I get it. Um, But I I feel like uh, he's unfortunately been kind of a punching bag for everybody because everyone's trying to find what's wrong with the team. That's five games over 500. But uh, (laughs) I mean, it's a discussion. (laughs) Let him know, right? Let him know. Hey, hey, I'm just saying like, it's, it's just kind of the mentality uh, of sports these days, but. I think he's doing a good job, and uh, I, I don't think that you know he's going to be a catch-shoot guy in the corner. He's going to take two or three of them and, because they're going to be given to him, but uh, his strengths lie on, on what he can do off the ball. Absolutely. And so since we're already here, you know, this this last segment here, the last three-game win streak, I mean, so we, we've seen the Cavs do a little bit of everything. They can win ugly. They can win big. Mm-hmm. They can grind out, you know, and, and and figure things out when it matters. I mean, they can also give up leads. We've seen that. Holy uh, hell, man. I mean, I'm going to cut you right there, unfortunately. Uh, but that that Hornets game, I could not believe what I was seeing. And that when they were up by 10 with 54 seconds left. Yes. I, I literally tweeted, holy hell. I don't know if I've ever seen a meltdown. I don't know if I've ever seen the Cavs meltdown like that. In, yeah, in... that was that was something, something completely different. And, you know, overtime didn't even go that well. But the second overtime, they put their foot on the gas and they did the job. Um, and that's something that they can learn from. You know, they were doing their sets and whatnot. But to, to give up that, that kind of lead. To a LaMelo ball is 
Hornets mm-hmm. team is just yeah. it wasn't a good look. I'm glad they pulled it out. It was something probably good for their confidence, um, you know. And then they got the immediate confidence booster by dismantling the Miami Heat, who were also without two of its best players and Jimmy Butler and Tyler Harrow. Uh, that was definitely a, a confidence booster. But the big highlight matchup here, as we've been talking about already, was against the Atlanta Hawks, in which the Cavs' backcourt completely outshined the uh, the, the Hawks. I mean, let's not kid ourselves here. Here, uh, these are two teams with two of the best backcourts in the NBA in its entirety, and I don't think it's a stretch to say that this this Cleveland backcourt is playing maybe the best. They might be the best backcourt in basketball right now with how they've been playing. Um, and I, I think you're going to have to continue to see how they continue to put things together because at times it does seem like they're playing a little bit of hero ball. Um, and I, I understand the fact that they haven't necessarily, I don't think they've actually played 10 full games together yet. Uh, those two, but I still think that there are some things that they have to figure out. But last night was a huge, huge win. Um, I, I, like we mentioned earlier, they were able to shut down DeJounte Murray, mostly Lamar Stevens. I think they held him to four of 18 shooting and, uh, he, you know, he, he obviously did not shoot very well last night he didn't have it going but Lamar Stevens was a huge reason why he just never really seemed to impact that game all that much but my biggest gripe my biggest gripe always continues to be whenever this team plays the Hawks is one Trey Young (laughs) I I just have to ask this because I have to get this off my chest Corey I'm gonna go to you first because I think we've talked about this ad nauseum at times do you consider Trey Young's play style to be cheap um, I think when the refs refuse to call the fouls that they would call for most players that they don't for Trey Young, then uh, if it, they're not going to call it, I don't blame the guy for playing that style. If it works, just keep doing it until one day he. It's not like he's not a talented player either. I bet he could play a, a variety of styles and they would be successful. And but if it's going to help him conserve energy by just running into dudes and flailing his arms <laughs> to get the cheap free throw attempts, then sure. I mean, like, I don't, I, I don't, I, I just don't see a way in which it's going to stop. He's just a superstar. They're not going to go the opposite way just for no reason, just because people are complaining about it. If they are going to just keep doing the same thing, it's, it, I would, uh, yeah, that's really all I got. It's just, <laughs> I'm, I'm just frazzled. <laughs> Uh, Spencer, I hate to put you on the spot in regards to that because I do I, – I understand the fact that Trey Young is a baller. He is a tremendous talent. He can do a lot of things. He is a hell of a distributor. He has, you know, a very good chemistry with his bigs there and John Collins and Clint Capella, as you can no doubt see on most of the lob attempts they have. But to me, it's just far too often overshadowed by his constant foul hunting ways. It just pisses me off to no end. Like, I don't. Maybe I'm. Maybe I'm just bitching a little bit here. But it's just. It, it's just a highly annoying brand of basketball to watch. <laughs> well, I, I will say this: the way he got off to a start, there was no foul hunting there. He was just driving past guys and getting yeah. the up, and he was making his parking lot shots, just like Brooke Lopez was. You know, like, but. <laughs> Uh, I think for Trey that he hasn't done it as much because they're the officials are looking out for it now. Right. Like they, yeah. they've taken away those kind of fouls, like where guys are hunting. Um, 
but the ones on the ones on Isaac yesterday, the one you were shaking your head, I see what you mean. Like the rip through thing, you know, well, you know, honestly, the rip through thing, that's a KD special. Like if we're going to keep it a buck, like that's the KD special right there. Whoop, You know, or, or Chris Paul, I should say, Chris Paul does that a ton too. So it ain't just Trey in that regard. Uh, but when he's like doing the dribble thing in the key and he like backs up and just flails, <laughs> I know why you get upset. I understand why you get upset, <laughs> but I, I, I think he's gotten away from it more, but he still has his moments and that's where I'll leave it. I think that's fair. Yeah. I had a, a lot of people point that out to me and I, you know, I do admit that not all fouls that Trey receives are fake, but man, they just, when they do happen, it just kind of brings his past back to haunt me. Um, I'll never slight him for him. Like he knows how to work. He's a manipulator game. He's a manipulator. It's not like he doesn't deserve what he's doing because it's not like a fluke. He does everything he's play. He plays with like a tactical style Mm -hmm. in the same way that people complained about with Harden in prior years. Like I was always on the side that like Harden does like, yes, it's annoying to play against James Harden when he's getting all these free throw attempts. But if you defended him, tried to if you tried different ways to attack him defensively, then maybe you wouldn't get stuck in these rip throughs or where he trapped. James Harden always used to trap defenders' arms under him as he would yeah. go for layups, and they would get it called all the time. It's like, well, maybe you know he's going to do it, so try to try, come up with a different way to approach it. And Trey the thing is just same. pinning pinning guys on his back. That's what he does most, I think. Um, but the the rip through thing, I think that's just a league wide league wide <laughs> thing. But but the pinning on back and the thing, I think the reason that he's so dynamic and able to do that too is because he's just a great pick and roll player. He's an mm-hmm. excellent. He's excellent with the ball, absolutely, and, and making reads and all that. His facilitating, yeah. I feel, I still feel like is so underrated in the league. I think people just think of him as like a wannabe Steph Curry type, but his facilitating is so good, and he just can read. Like you said, he just reads defenses so well. He's probably one of the best facilitators in the league, in my opinion. Matt's I mean, you have to be cut, if you got the podcast off. Yeah. I'm, about, I'm about sitting here sipping on my beer here, getting sick to my stomach listening to you guys. You're like, this, is supposed to, this was the opposite of what I wanted. <laughs> no, but no, for real, I give it up to him. The guy is averaging, you know, very high numbers this season, almost double-digit assists. So the facilitation is there. It's absolutely – he's absolutely a phenomenal player. It's just the way he happens to get some of those points just ticks me off sometimes. But I'm not going to harp on that too long. There are other guys here that I kind of want to mention. Uh, you had mentioned that you are – getting ready to release content on AJ Griffin, uh, one of the players that I was pretty high on coming into the draft. Can you, can you tell us a little bit about what makes him so special? So I had to dig in on the film on him a little bit, because admittedly I didn't watch too much Duke. Um, and I, I honestly, like with college prospects, I try to tune in as much as possible, but you know, when the NBA's rocking and rolling, it's tough to pay attention, honestly, unless it's Victor Wembignana and that's appointment te- television. But it really is. Uh, um, I, I think AJ, what he is just really good. I think that he just, the, the speed, he has the speed of the game down already. And it's nuts because he wasn't even in this rotation to start the year, man. Um, he's ready on the catch to, to fire it up from three. But what I think people aren't noticing enough is the way that he's attacking off of closeouts. And uh, his footwork is like a post, dude. Like, he's able to do this up and under move on a couple of games that I saw on tape. 
uh, on the baseline that just really nice. And he's getting into like this eight to 10 foot push shot thing going. Uh, I, I think he did a solid job on Donovan Mitchell yesterday. I know Donovan is really hard to guard, but they had him on him. And, um, you know, DeAndre Hunter was out sick and they said, okay, Rook, here you go. You got to defend Spider. And I, I think he did a pretty admirable job. I mean, Donovan was giving it up a lot in the, in the first half. Uh, I think he had four or five assists in the first half. Um, but uh, offensively, I think AJ is just really, he's kind of uh, polished. Uh, and that's kind of odd because he's 19. You'd think that this is a raw kind of prospect type of player, but he seems like uh, he's he's in the moment and he's it's it's not too fast for him, which can happen for some rookies. Uh, so I, I enjoyed talking to him. Um, it was a, a good uh, interview that we got, and that'll be on basketballnews.com. But he's he's just a, a really fun player to watch because. Uh, he's just going out there and earning his minutes as uh, Nate McMillan put it to us. And I think the, the one play that stood out to me, man, is when he missed a three, um, you know, guys can sag after that and <laughs> put their head down, but he came back and, and ripped Darius Garland and they got uh, a transition bucket the other way. And that right there tells me he's got a next play mentality. And um, it's, it's cool to see, especially for somebody that wasn't getting minutes at all to start the year. Yeah, and um, prior to last night's game, in just 14 minutes per game, he was averaging, I want to say, 7.7 minutes. I mean, I mean, 7.7 points, rather. That's pretty good production. Per 36, that translates to 18.7. I think that he has a bright future in the league. Um, To say, you know, to to begin the season, I don't think they envisioned him to be, like, a huge part of the rotation. But, uh, I mean, he's really taken advantage of his opportunity. And so – to kind of transition off of that, one of the players here that I feel uh, is finally starting to take advantage of the, uh, of theirs is Isaac Okoro. So, you know, we know one thing about Isaac Okoro, and that is that whenever he does not have things going offensively, he's always going to go out there and defend. He's always going to give you his best effort on that end of the floor. But as of late, he's actually been able to chip in on the offensive end. And the biggest gripe with Isaac has always been a lack of confidence. Like, he just always seems to not play confident. Like, you have NBA-level talent. Like, you have NBA-level skill. You just got to go out there and be talent. And so over his last five games, he's managed to knock down four of 10 threes. So Corey, I'm going to hand this off to you first. Have you seen anything from Isaac Okoro during the stretch that would indicate to you that he is finally ready to take on a, a bigger role here in this rotation? I think the thing that stood out most to me about Isaac offensively in this streak is that he isn't really shutting down as much as you have seen in past uh, stretches during the season where if he misses like his first few shots, you can tell he's like, all right, well, I'm just not going to be as engaged offensively and just stick to what I'm good at type of thing. I want him to have the quick um, – like the memory of a goldfish. I want him to miss his shot and then just go to the next play. And if he's open again, just keep taking it because if you keep a defense honest, even if you're missing, at least you have that level of threat to an opposing defense. Like uh, Spencer said, though, I still like, I definitely want all of a a majority of a offensive production to be in transition because he's a wrecking ball when you can get him in a one-on-one in the lane and you know you've seen it in the past few games. He almost had a monster dunk in that Atlanta game if he didn't get absolutely like WWE slammed <laughs> to the to the floor. But 
Um, Okoro defensively, I'm never going to have like any qualms or worries about how he plays. He always seems to play players very well on ball. I mean, ever since his rookie year, we've always been trying to throw him on the hardest offensive assignment or defensive assignments. And he, I never feel like he really fails in that sense because he just seems like he is an energizer bunny. Like he never runs on empty. It's always just been like, I want his offensive confidence to be there. And it seems like that's starting to regain as this season has headed onward. I've been saying on this podcast for a while that I wish Isaac Coro had the offensive uh, confidence that Lamar Stevens has, <laughs> where Lamar Stevens doesn't seem to ever really shy away from many shots, even if you don't want him to take some of them. If Isaac had that same level, they could easily be the same level of production offensively. And that would be more than enough for me to be very satisfied with Isaac's offensive output. Just the minute I, – I, I, I still don't want him putting the ball to the floor, though, and try to create shots for himself. He definitely needs to be a complementary offensive player. Well, depending upon who's out there on the floor with him, I don't think you'll ever have to truly worry about that with the way that they're staggering these uh, the, the guards' minutes. But one guy who we don't have to worry about apparently now is Jetty Osmond over his last two games, 21.5 points, rebounding the ball extremely well at 7.5 rebounds. Um, Spencer, is this production sustainable moving forward for Jetty? <laughs> Are we finally feel, breaking out of the inconsistent territory for him? I feel like the last four years I've gotten the same question from, from everybody. I mean, I think that he's in a good place mentally. Does that mean he's going to be able to come out and score 20 a night? I'm not going to go there. <laughs> um, but what JB keeps alluding to, though, is that he's not letting his offense dictate everything on the floor. Like, if you look actually like, a lot of the guys are praising what Jetty's doing on the defensive end because he's been aggressive and, um, you know, really forcing guys into bad spots. And, uh, you know, their energy that they get off of him is, is just electric. I mean, Donovan says that <laughs> Donovan told me yesterday uh, when Jetty's got an open floor, he, he got a steal and uh, Donovan threw it up to him. He didn't run back on offense. He's like, I'm not wasting my energy. He's going to go up there and he's going to go finish it. I, I would love to see how many points per possession Jetty Osmond scores in transition. I haven't looked it up. It's got to be somewhere above like 1.5, 1.6. There's no way that it's lower than that because um, the, he is just succeeding whenever there is just an open runway. Um, and then you look at what he's been able to do uh, at, you know, as a catch shooter, but he's also taken some pull-ups. Like it, I don't know how to explain the Jenny Osmond phenomenon. I don't. Uh, but he is – he can be a really solid eighth guy off your bench and, like, step up to the production level that they've had the last couple nights um, when they need him. Um, again, I don't know if it's sustainable. I mean, he was playing out of position against Miami, and somehow it worked. Usually he, he's not great uh, when he's – playing at the four now luckily Miami had some injuries so it didn't really affect them but um Jetty's always been someone who's been a, a lightning rod like it's crazy the, the way I worded my question to JB on that that Miami night was did you shoot him out of a cannon today <laughs> <laughs> because you saw it he went one of one for his first six but he had like six rebounds uh he was jumping like leaping in the air tracking the ball down giving se second chance points uh you know uh, playing guys in the passing lane and getting steals. Like he's got so much 
like adrenaline that he brings to the game. And when he's on, it gets everybody else going because they just love to see him succeed. So, I, I mean, it's tough to see him with that output every night, especially when you know what you're going to get from Donovan and Darius every night. Evan's going to chip in a 20-pointer every, you know, every other, you know, occasion. And Jarrett's got the ability to do that. Kevin Love can pour in points uh, in, in a hurry. Karis, when he's healthy, same thing. Um, and that'll be interesting to see, too, uh, how – JB looks at his rotation once Karis is healthy. Does Lamar get the minutes? Does Dean Wade get the minutes? Does Jetty get the minutes? It's, it's tough, tough to, to tell. But um, when Jetty's been called upon and the waiter responded to not playing at all in the second half against Charlotte on Friday to do what he's done the last two games is admirable. Yeah, I really have come to appreciate what he brings to the table. This isn't, you know, mind you, in a season in which I didn't really think Jetty was going to be a part of the rotation. You know, I've admitted that a few different times now. And um, he continues to amaze me, at least from the standpoint of the fact that he doesn't ever seem to get too down on himself. Like, he kind of knows who he is at this standpoint. Um, And the production that he's been able to give this Cavs team over the start of this season has been vital to a lot of these wins. Um, Is he always on? Absolutely not. Because when he's on, he's on, but when he is off, it looks terrible. (laughs) It's a Jekyll Hyde thing, man. I I can't figure it out for the life of me either, but something that's always stuck to me when I've talked to him um, is that he's always told me that he is a rhythm player. And what gets him involved is, is when he is running and when he's running and he's able to get those transition buckets, Look out because then his confidence is going to shoot up. I love that. Like being self-aware, knowing who you are. That's uh, that's mm-hmm. probably one of the best things that you can do as a basketball player. Um, Cavs have some tough matchups coming. So I'm glad that they busted out these three wins. You got a matchup with the uh, the upstart Portland Trailblazers who are still led by Damian Lillard, uh, Fernie Simmons, uh, Simons rather. You have a rematch with the Milwaukee Bucks. I don't know how healthy they're going to be this time around, but they look like they uh, they might have a stronger complement of players around Giannis this time around. So head into those matchups, man. Give me a prediction, Spencer. Well, here, here's what I'll say. Um, so Wednesday, the Blazers, they're probably not going to have Damian Lillard. He's been dealing with uh, a bit of an injury bug. But uh, I will say Portland is going to make you earn every bucket on offense. Like, they are defending like hell this year. Jeremy Grant has been an absolute godsend for that team because they have not had that type of wing to play defense for him. But you have him. You have Justice Winslow. You have Josh Hart. These are guys that really, they just bust their butts uh, on defense in tracking down shooters and getting deflections. Um, And then, you know, you can beat Nurkic at the rim, um, but they play uh, Drew Eubanks quite a bit. Um, and, and he's actually, you know, I think a pretty underrated player. Um, but I, I think that's where they're going to have their strength. They're, they're, they make their money on the defensive end this year. And it's crazy to hear that the Blazers are one of the best defensive teams in the league. But, <laughs> I mean, I'm telling you, man, look out for, for Winslow. Look out for, for Hart and especially Jeremy Grant. Because Jeremy Grant's going to have the ball coming to him a lot tomorrow. Because with Damian Lillard out, Cavs are probably going to try and key on, on Anthony Simons because he's somebody who can light it up in an instant. That guy whew, got paid he, for I, a reason. And he's a young buck too, man. He is fast. He, his, his release, if you watch it, man, it, he can get it off in an instant. 
Um, so, so there's him, Jeremy Grant can score, uh, look out for shade and sharp. Oh my goodness. What a mm. fun rookie. He's been to watch off the bench. Um, just a lot of pop that he has in his game, uh, athleticism off ball movement. Um, offensively, I think that the Cavs can take care of, care of them. Um, so defensively, I should say. Um, but I feel like, uh, they're really going to be in kind of a dog fight tomorrow that if, if I had to guess, so. Um, but I think they will come out on top uh, Wednesday. Um, Portland uh, just got off a loss to Milwaukee the other night. Um, and uh, I, I think they're a really tough team, but the Cavs, I think, will have some uh, home court advantage there. Good to hear. And then you think they're going to end up splitting here and losing to Milwaukee? Ooh, see, now that one's tough. Uh, is Milwaukee going to have Drew Holiday? You know, like, I, I don't <laughs> think they have Middleton back yet, if I'm no, not, not mistaken. Yet. So um, I feel like there will be more of an emphasis on crashing the glass. Yeah. Effort-wise, I feel like they will be better. Now, I have a bad feeling that Giannis is going to come for some revenge because he's been angry lately. Um, and That's I mean, not it great. Kinda, <laughs> it it kind of started with that Cavs game because Lamar did a great job on him, like I said. Hide your um, letters. But I don't think Brooke Lopez is going to shoot nine threes this game. How about he that? better not? There might be a little emphasis on, on guarding that three-point line a little little more tight. So um, I don't want to give a prediction there. I, I don't uh, uh. I, I don't I don't I don't think they'll win on the road in Milwaukee. How about that? I, I okay. That's tough. That's tough. But they go okay. on this like little little road trip here after Wednesday when they close the homestand against Portland. You go one and one against those two. I'm satisfied. I'm okay. Sure. Corey, how about you? I agree exactly with what Evan said. <laughs> I have nothing. Or uh, what Spencer said. My bad. But it's cool. <laughs> uh, uh, anyway, uh, yeah. But I, um, I, I have been watching a decent amount of Portland this year, and they do. I don't know, Spencer, if you agree, but they kind of their defensive versatility gives me like a Toronto West vibe. Very much so. Uh, they're not as long, but they are just as gritty. That's yeah. that's I've seen them play. They are they swarm. They swarm you, and again, they make you earn every single bucket. They might not have the greatest rim protection, but they will make you earn it uh, off the dribble. So the the ball movement has to be crisp against that team. What a turnaround of uh, how people look at Chauncey Billups from last year to this year. It really has sure. been a turnaround for him. Yeah, mm-hmm. and I will say this. Yeah. I will say this too against Portland: Do not turn the ball over. And Darius, I think, had seven uh, yesterday, which were, you know, most of them were were very self inflicted. Self inflicted. That's a really good point, uh, Mac. And you know, Donovan's had his fair share of turnovers too. He, he had him down the stretch against the Hornets when he's trying to split doubles, when he's trying to do too much um, in the in the you know in the backcourt when they're picking him up uh, full ninety four. So uh, you've got to be on your game and play crisp basketball. You don't have to really, you know, come out and punch these guys in the mouth offensively, um, but you've got to be crisp in your execution. And in that line of thought, as we close out here, I just want to make this last note here. I love Evan Mobley. I really like the fact that Evan Mobley is trying to hone his ball handling skills, but I just do not care for Evan Mobley trying to (laughs) walk the ball down or facilitate at certain times. The turnovers there to me can, can be really bothersome. We saw that in last night's game. Sure. Sure. I think where Evan's at his advantage when he puts the ball on the floor is when he's in the middle, 
and he's making plays either as the hub with the handoffs yeah. or or when they run pick and roll with him, he, he is short a roll. very good short roll playmaker. Yeah. Exactly, yes. He's finding guys out on the perimeter, mostly in the corner. Um, again, when Donovan and Darius are doubled, it opens up that middle, and you have options from there. Again, read option off. <laughs> I just um, don't want to see – I just don't care to see the off-the-dribble stuff that he uh, – sure. at, at certain times. Sure, yeah. You don't want to make him put it on the deck too much this early, especially because you, you saw it yesterday – he didn't have a good feel for the handle, um, but I mean, everywhere else he makes just such a huge impact. So it's hard to get mad at him. And yeah. you love to see the high low lobs with Jarrett and him. <laughs> Regardless, it, it's vice versa sometimes too. It really is. Yeah. <laughs> All right. As we always tell you guys, if you like to reach out to us, you can, Corey, I'm going to see if I can get through this without messing up as I always do. <laughs> if you like to reach out to us, you can at it's Cavalier pod on Twitter, TikTok, Instagram, YouTube, and more. If you like to be added to the exclusive it's Cavalier discord chat, you know what to do. Leave a rating, leave a review, send a screenshot, a set review to it's Cavalier 53 at gmail.com. And we'll send you an invite. Yay, I made it through that. <laughs> All right, there you go, Mac. There you go, Mac. That's another victory right there. I'm feeling good about this uh, this matchup that we have against Portland coming up tomorrow. So let's hope that the Cavs have a uh, similar level of success as I did tonight. <laughs> Can I do a quick plug for myself? Go yes, ahead, man. All right? Yeah. All right. I was going to say, uh, I've been busting my ass doing these stories, so I just want people to read them. But, uh, again, Jamal Kane, a rookie two-way player for the Heat, just did a really solid uh, long-form interview with him. That's on basketballnews.com. Nick Richards, up-and-coming big man on the Hornets. That's also on basketballnews.com. One coming on A.J. Griffin. We talked about that earlier in the podcast. Uh, And speaking of podcasts, if you could please subscribe, rate, review mine uh, with me and Brian Fritz. It's keeping it 94 on the basketballnews.com. Thank you. Thank you. It's on the basketballnews.com podcast network. You can find us on iTunes, Stitcher, Apple Music, and wherever you listen. Again, subscribe, rate, review that. And uh, just in general, follow us uh, on our social media platforms, uh, basketball news all around. Uh, We've got a great following on Instagram and Twitter. Um, So if you want to join that and read everybody's work, Nikias Duncan does a great job. Alex Kennedy does a great job. Ethan Fuller. Um, You know, we have amazing podcasts with Tom Thomas, Rex Chapman, and the works. So... Uh, show us some love there. And then uh, my channels, I'm at Spin Davies on Twitter. On Instagram, I'm also at Spin Davies. And the basketball news um, has its own app on the App Store. So if you don't oh, even look want at to that. You're browser. plugging. For, <laughs> my boss going to come calling you saying, why the hell didn't you put that on there? <laughs> I, uh, I I love the app. It's it's great. Thank you. It is Thank good. you. Yeah. Awesome. We'll have to use that. We'll have to use that as a, a viewer testimony. oh spencer thanks again for coming on man you always bring the knowledge when you come with this uh as you always say here go Cavs. have a good night